When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Samuel Adams said, Let each citizen remember at the moment he is offering his vote that he is executing one of the most solemn trusts in, a, in human society for which he is accountable to God and his country. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity, and I'm your host, Spencer. This is my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And this is the podcast where every week we do our best to help. Christians navigate this secular and godless society that we find ourselves in and, you know, try to help each other walk that narrow path that leads to life. So thank you so much for joining us. We've got a lot that we're hoping to get through today and we're going to try to keep it. We never seem to keep it short, but we're going to do our best. <laughs> we're like um, pastor when he does his teachings. He tries yeah. to shorten things. He's like, I just can't. <laughs> I'm like, ah, he's only preaching on one verse today. It's probably going to be short. It's like an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> but there's a lot in it. You got it. You can't skip the important stuff. <laughs> no, it's good. Um, and hopefully ours is good as well today. So um, today we are going to obviously be looking at the news like we always do. And there was a lot of news to get to. Uh, most of it was obviously terrifyingly awful like it normally is. Um, but there was some good stuff as well that we're going to talk about. And then once we get done with the news, we're going to take a look at 2000 Mules. We're going to kind of be reviewing that documentary. Wasn't a plan. Wasn't even a plan to watch it, but it just seemed like I kept hearing a lot about it. People I know, you know, watched it and were making comments. So I thought, well, I guess I should give it a watch. Um, you know, I've mentioned to you guys often, you should listen to Jason Whitlock. He watched it as well, found it interesting. So I thought, all right, well, we'll take a look at it and we will discuss it with you guys. Um, it's not going to be super exhaustive, just kind of what we thought of the documentary and what was in the documentary. Um, so that's going to be what we do with 2000 Mules. But before we get to all of that, is there anything you would like to say? Yeah, I just want to thank you guys. If you were praying for Spencer's mom for her trip here from New Mexico, um, she got here a little, like maybe like six hours sooner than I thought. Like I thought she wouldn't show up till midnight on the second day, but she got here like around six and we were like, us and the kids were just in the living room doing our Bible study. And then we just hear someone walk into the front door and we were like, 
thinking maybe it's one of the neighbor kids or something. <laughs> they don't usually do that though. <laughs> so she surprised the kids. They didn't know that she was coming. So they were really excited. Surprised us that she arrived so early. I don't know how she did that. And shame on her. Everyone knows Christian <laughs> should drive the speed limit, not a mile per hour over. So, no. <laughs> no, but yeah, it was good. The kids were excited. We didn't tell them she was coming. So we were like right in the middle of our Bible study and the door opened and our son turned around and looked and he's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and we're like, guess grandmother's here. <laughs> so that was pretty good. She's still here. She's up visiting my brother. Um, so if you prayed for her safe travel mercies, thank you. Um, pray some more cause she's getting ready to travel back tomorrow. So pray that God is watching out for her there. That would be very nice. Anything else? Can't think of anything right now. Life Sorry. is good. <laughs> All right. Well, I do want to share with you guys Cardinal, Cardinal Contingency Solutions as always. Um, and something that they've been talking about a lot recently that I think is really important just for everybody um, is they've been doing a lot of training on exploitation and counter exploitation. And I think this is more important than just police officers and, you know, government officials. It's certainly important for them. But, you know, this works if you're a pastor, if you're just a normal business owner, because everybody's it doesn't have to just be a social justice, you know, warrior type interaction where you think you're being exploited or the news media has a camera in your face. Those are certainly potential exploitation, you know, um, scenarios. But even just sort of if you're in that office environment, we talk about skilled, uh, the skilled politician personality where they might be trying to, you know, uh, exploit you for certain things. Maybe it's a pay raise, maybe it's a position, maybe it's your position, you know, and you have to be aware of that. So it's training on really how to spot exploitation and then how to make it, how to win that, that interaction, right? Because, you know, every business has their own mission statement. Every church has a doctrinal statement or belief statement and stuff like that, that you want to stick to, you want that to be sort of your talking point. Um, so it's just training on how to like fight through all the noise and stick to your message so that you don't get drug into a situation where you're saying things that can be twisted and turned on, you know, Facebook and Twitter and all this stuff where you're looking like a real bad guy. If you can just stick to that message, know what the mm -hmm. tactics are and how to defeat them. It's great training for everybody. I highly encourage it, which is why we talk about Cardinal here. So <laughs> go give them a look. The links are in the show notes. And then also, as always, we are very proud members of the Christian Podcast community. And we highly recommend you go to christianpodcastcommunity.org. They are adding new podcasts all the time. I think we're up to 55 to 60 now. Um, they just added a couple more podcasts on here. I actually just reviewed a podcast that submitted, um, they submitted their show. And that's what's cool about Christian podcast community. They don't just blanket accept people. So everyone that's already been accepted in the community, whenever a new submission comes in, they vet them a little bit and then they put it out to the community and say, hey, give them a listen, tell us what you think. So I listened to a, a couple pastors that are using their podcast as sort of an extension of their ministry. and. Uh, they were discussing, did Jesus go to hell? 
That was sort of what they were talking about. Really good mm-hmm. discussion on that. Um, and Christian podcast community does not have a denominational stand. So whatever you're, as long as you're Christian, um, like traditional Christian, I don't think they have any sort of Mormon or Jehovah's Witness no. in here. But if you're traditional Christian, but you're Baptist, they probably have something there for you. Presbyterian, they got something for you, you know. Yeah, there's different views, especially lots of different eschatology and time views and yeah, and just then, different interpretation, but it doesn't mess up the gospel message. Right. And then even stuff that's just good, clean, sort of Christian worldview type yes. stuff. Like we talked about, um, there's one on there where they review movies and stuff from a biblical mm-hmm. perspective. So a lot of good stuff on there. Go check it out. I am certain you will find something that mm-hmm. you like. Um, aside from this show, obviously, don't leave us. That would be disrespectful of you. <laughs> but uh, all right, enough of the good stuff, though. It's time that we waded into the murky swamps that is our news media. So gird your loins. It's time for our weekly trek through the valley of the shadow of death as we take a look at our news of the week. And uh, this first story, just want to mention it briefly because it's in the news. Do you want to read that headline, honey? Pentagon unveils shocking new UFO footage in congressional hearing. It's shocking. Apparently, that's what the headline says. So (laughs) I did read through the whole article. Um, I think the last line of the article sums up the entire article pretty well. Which proved it was shocking or not shocking? Uh, No. Uh, (laughs) Much like most most of the things from the media, it was a huge lie. Um, Their last line says, ultimately, the hearing did not reveal much. To the contrary, it spurred a number of important questions about the unidentified aerial phenomenon we've recently encountered. So the reason I bring this up, I think it's a fun story and I'd be interested to hear your guys' take on UFOs or as they're sort of calling them now, these unidentified aerial phenomenon, they're kind of going away from the UFO term. But just curious, there's a lot of different takes when you get into Christianity and UFOs, um, alien life and all that sort of stuff. There's a lot of different views on that, and I would like to hear what it you guys have to say. It could be a topic sometime. Say. I think we should discuss it. Well, from we a may talk about this. This might just be sort of laying that groundwork. If they keep talking about this, and they actually talk about something real, they do have some videos in this article. So if you want to go check it out, there's some videos in there that are certainly hard to explain. You know, when you see them, you're like, "Well, that's odd." Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't really go into a whole lot of detail in this article. Just would like to know what you guys think about UFOs and alien life and all that extraterrestrial stuff. But UFOs were not the big story of the week. Um, The big story of the week was obviously what happened in Buffalo, the tragedy that happened there on Saturday night. Um, So if you want to read this headline, honey. It says, what we know about Buffalo supermarket shooting suspect Peyton Gendron. Yep, and then just read, like, this first paragraph. Mm-hmm. The 18-year-old male uh, man who allegedly shot and killed 10 people Saturday afternoon in Buffalo, New York, was motivated by hate, authorities said, targeting a supermarket in the heart of a predominantly black community. Yep, so, I mean, you guys, I'm sure by this point, are very well aware of what happened in Buffalo. Um, obviously, it was horrific. It does go on to say in this article... 
The U.S. Department of Justice is investigating the shooting as a hate crime and an act of racially motivated violent extremism, according to the Attorney General Merrick Garland. Aren't all crimes and murders usually because of hate, though? Like, what other descriptions are used to define why someone murders? Because Jesus said hatred is the same as murder or anger. It's like murder. So. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things. And I know a lot of people get, you know, pushed back on this idea of hate crimes and even hate speech um, because, you know, they claim, yeah, like you said, murder is hate, right? So like, whether you murder somebody because they stole your money or you murder them because you don't like their skin color, I think it all broods from the same place. But I think it's just a classification really for the government in a way yeah, just really a way of them to classify. This was racially motivated hate. This was a crime of passion. This was a, a theft gone awry. I mean, I don't know. Okay. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Hate is hate. Um, but I think it does help them somehow. I don't know. Like, the dude's going to get life in prison anyways, obviously, because he was caught. You know, they have it all. So whether they were just getting him on murder charges or... Uh, a hate crime murder charge. I don't like know. Like his motivation for it will give him a longer sentence. I mean, it'll be life regardless, but. Yeah, he'll get 987 years in prison instead of 712. Okay. <laughs> or something. I don't know. So it's bizarre, but um, the article does go on to say down here, uh, the suspect made very disturbing statements describing his motive and state of mind following his arrest. An official familiar with the investigation told CNN, those statements were clear and filled with hate toward the black community, with the alleged shooter making it known he was targeting black people, the official said. Yeah, I just wish society saw all immorality, crimes and everything as for what it is, sin. It's not just a simple systemic issue that they can fix by making it political. Like they can control people's hearts. Like no, this is I the mean, worldly view of, of what sin is without, you know, they can't bring up sin. We see it that way. No, though. they can't. I mean, and obviously sin is the sickness and racism, hate crimes, that's the symptom. So, yeah, like anything, you're trying to fight a symptom when really you should be fighting the disease. Um, but, you know, they can't make this a sin issue, really. They're um, not going to fix anything. It's like they're trying to come in and be the savior, but they can't. Jesus is the only one who can. Right. But when you're talking about it. a secular <laughs> government, to accept that sin is the narrative puts the solution for that in a higher authority than government, mm -hmm. um, which is something a secular government can't stand for. Right, um, right. And our current sense. government is secular, right? Um, they've been doing everything really that they can to remove God from every sector of society. You know, you are your own God, you know, do mm -hmm. as thou will kind of a thing. Um, secular humanism is their religion of choice nowadays. Yeah, so... You may hear him throw out arbitrary verses, which as we get into the president's speech here in a few minutes, he does. Um, but the actions speak louder than words. And mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, their actions are focus on the symptom because focusing on the symptoms 
can help garner them support when they're not really trying to solve anything. Because, yeah, I mean, you have no way of solving. Like, you can't solve hate. Right. Yeah. You know, by, I don't know, a government man, like a government program can't solve hate, right? And the more that we lose biblical worldview, people stop reading the Bible, stop believing in God, hate's only going to get worse. And the only solution to that is the solution they're not willing to accept, which is turn back to God. Right. right. So, yeah. Um, but what I find so upsetting about this whole article, this whole situation, well, not, I find it upsetting. Certainly, it's not the most upsetting thing here. Um, but apparently, this kid posted a manifesto online. Um, but it's been taken down, so we can't read it. I did try to look for it, couldn't find it. But I thought about this because I have a few family members, but one in particular that's quite liberal. Um, and recently, she's been posting stuff about, really, I think it's in reference to the Florida um, sort of law where they were taking textbooks out of the schools that had to do with CRT. So they were taking them out there. And her point was kind of like, if you're banning books, you know, you're really scared of people thinking was kind of the idea that she was going for there. So I posed a question to her, like, should they have left the manifesto up then? You know, if you're afraid of them banning books because they don't want people to read and think on this stuff, even though in your mind you're saying, what does that hurt? It doesn't influence or just thinking and expanding mm -hmm. their knowledge. Well, then that same line of thinking, should they have left the manifesto up for us to read? The New York subway shooter, they took all of his YouTube videos down so we couldn't watch them. Mm. Should they have left those up? You know, that's something I'm curious to know what you guys think. I personally am of the camp that I think they should have left them up. Um, they should have left the manifesto up, should have left the videos up, maybe put a, a warning, certainly, that this stuff is, you know, can be difficult to listen to or that, you know, just whatever, an explicit warning kind of a thing. But I think for right. two reasons that you should leave this stuff up, at least for me personally. Again, I want to know what you guys think. Um, the first one is I just want to know what people think. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm the kind of person that if you are supremely racist, hate-filled, whatever it happens to be, I want to know that. Like, I don't want to just naively think that somebody's like me and generally a good dude and you wind up like, you know, it'd be like, oh, I just had lunch and a couple of drinks with Peyton Gender in, and then you find out like, oh, that dude killed a whole bunch of people. Like probably shouldn't have bought him lunch yesterday. Like, no, I want to know <laughs> that he's a nutcase. Um, and then the second one um, is once they take the manifesto down, once they take the YouTube videos down, they can tell you whatever they want and you have no yeah. way of verifying that. And we've already discussed a hundred times on this show, how our news media, our politicians, are largely godless people pushing a satanic narrative. So it's hard to take anything they say truthfully or honestly when you know that that's sort of the point of view they're coming from. So when they tell you, hey, you know, Peyton Genderson was super racist towards black people, you know, all these sorts of things, and you're like, I have a hard time believing you. And then, you know, I've heard mm -hmm. people talk about the manifesto who got it before it was taken down. Um, you know, and they were mentioning things that, you know, the kid was racist, obviously, but it wasn't just towards black people. He was writing in that he hated Hispanics. He hated Jews so as well. just a half truth. So it was a half truth in a sense. I mean, it was true that he really hated black people, but it was more 
the guy's a nutcase. But he they hates can't everybody. make it about their agenda if they add those other facts. No, and that's the point too, right? Because as long, if you can't verify any of this with looking at the actual manifesto, mm-hmm. and for most people, they wouldn't look at it anyways, right? They'd watch Fox or they'd watch CNN and go, that's what the kid believes. People are just used to hearing the story and not ever looking into things for themselves anyway. They're conditioned to yeah. look no further. And again, I don't know what it would change at the end of the day to know that this kid was not just racist towards blacks, but he was racist and hate-filled towards everybody. Um, Mm. Other than to be aware, and again, and maybe this is why we're talking about the story, is just to be aware of who's telling you the information. Yeah, Like we talk about all the time, we have a godless and secular satanic news media don't ever believe anything they say to you outright without doing your own research. But here you can't do your own research. So you're kind of stuck. Um, and that's a shame. And, mm-hmm. you know, there were other things about this kid's manifesto I heard that were slightly different. So, but again, we can't verify that. And I have a problem with that. You know, I would rather read Mein Kampf, right, than have somebody just tell me, ah, it's a really bad book. Okay, well, why? Let me know what he thinks. I mean, um, So maybe, you know, I had the thought that maybe for some Christians, it's more like the horror movie. Yeah, I'm not saying you should ban all horror movies, but if you ask me if you should watch them, I'd go, no. Like, what's the point of watching a horror movie? Yeah. Just to let that evil into your soul. Maybe that's the right perspective on this manifesto. I don't know. Uh, But I'd like to hear what you guys have to say. So, yeah. um, So in response to this tragedy, um, President Biden did go to Buffalo and he met with the victims and their families. Uh, he gave a speech. And, you know, you take this show serious here. Religionless Christianity, professional production here. So we did our due diligence. And we love you guys dearly. So we listened to the entire speech from President Biden. And then when we were done, we wiped the blood from our ears and tried to distill it down to a few points that we could talk about. It was really hard. Uh, I had so many things I wanted to say. And we took down a lot of points here, and I don't know (sighs) that we need to reference all of them. We'll see. I don't want this episode to be terribly long, but I will try to play some of the points here so you guys can actually hear them for yourselves and not just take our word for it. But uh, the speech actually started off pretty well, I thought. Um, You know, the first five minutes of the speech, I thought President Biden was actually... um, He was likable. I thought he was getting his point across. He was authentic. You know, he did lose a son quite a few years ago now, maybe 10 years ago now or so. His son, Bo Biden, I believe died of cancer. So he certainly understands the pain of losing somebody close to you, um, which not going to take that away from the man. I mean, heaven forbid I ever <laughs> lose a child. I don't understand. And he did have a great line in there. And unfortunately, I don't have the timestamp pulled up right now to find it. But he mentioned something about Um, There'll come a time, it it may be a season or two or something like that, he said, that the thought of them will bring a smile to your lips before it brings a tear to your Mm -hmm. eye. And I thought, that's a really good line. You know, that, I think that's something when people are hurting a lot, they really need to hear, you know, that I remember Tony Dungy, you probably don't know who Tony Dungy is. He's a Hall of Fame football coach and his son committed suicide. And, you know, he's a real strong Christian, Tony Dungy. And he had mentioned that somebody gave him some advice on the phone when he was really struggling the days after. And he said, and it was just simple. He was like, 
your life will never be the same again, but you won't always feel the way you do today. And I was like, that's very simple, mm-hmm. but practical advice. Like just, just a power little through hopeful. It. Yeah. You know, and then like President Biden said, pretty soon you'll think on your son, you'll smile before you get sad and, you know, remembering who he was. So that was a really good line, really touching by President Biden, I thought. But um, unfortunately, you know, it made me think, listen to this speech, his former boss, um, Barack Obama. He had a chief of staff named Rahm Emanuel, I believe, who famously said, never let a crisis go to waste. And unfortunately, President Biden sort of heeded that advice here. And this speech sort of quickly, I think, just went off the rails politically. And Mm -hmm. it really was a shame because it started off, I think, really nice. So we'll try to play this really quickly here. Um, Just a couple of these clips. Do you have anything to say before I dive into these clips? I was just going to comment, like, if I was, you know, um, family member, one of the victims that like a speech of like condolences would be turned political. Like, can we not have it be about that and just about the tragedy alone? Like, that's yeah. pretty offensive, I think. I mean, I think it is, I guess, depending, like, you should be smart enough to know what this is going to be, right? And hopefully, yeah. and I, you know, obviously, we don't know what President Biden did behind the scenes. My hope is that he was very um, authentic, very um, open, um, mournful with these people. You know, the Bible tells us that we should weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. Mm-hmm. I hope President Biden did that. Um, yeah, I hope that he's working to get these people, you know, help whatever they need behind the scenes. But obviously, when the cameras come on, he's got a job to do, right? Um, yeah. And he unfortunately yeah. does that here. So we'll play this first clip really quick. In America, evil will not win, I promise you. Hate will not prevail. And white supremacy will not have the last word. For the evil did come to Buffalo. It's come to all too many places. Manifesting gunmen who massacred innocent people in the name of hateful and perverse ideology rooted in fear and racism. It's taken so much. Ten lives cut short in a grocery store. So that's the first point, really, that I want to touch on. Um, Like I said, pretty quickly, it goes straight political. And this is really what it is for the rest of his speech here, Um, the white supremacy and this sort of stuff. But, uh, and I hate to even go here, but this is where my mind went when I was listening to this. You know, he says, 10 lives cut short in a grocery store. Um, And obviously, what Peyton Genderson whatever his name is, did, is awful. It's horrific. Whether it's racism or not, I don't think it makes a difference. Um, if you want to say it makes a difference because it's racism, I'm not going to disagree with you. Um, it's horrific. It's god-awful. Um, my hope is that, you know, I, yeah, I don't know if he's beyond um, God's reach at this point, but my hope is that his soul is saved, that these people whose lives have been ruined That somehow, you know, sometimes when tragedy has the ability to turn you and draw you closer to God, and hopefully that's what happens here, you know, they don't become hard towards God, but rather, Mm -hmm. you know, they soften and lean into that. That's my hope and my prayer um, because it's terrible. But, um, you know, this shooting happened on Saturday, and the last two weeks, 
of this podcast, we've been talking about Roe versus Wade and abortion and ending that abortion um, in this nation. And since Saturday, May 14th, seven days ago, 4,025 innocent black children have been murdered through legal abortion in this nation. So here we have President Biden, who cares so deeply about 10 dead in a grocery store, um, unjustly, right? I think he said something to that effect, unjustly. Yet he supports the death of all those 4,025 black children, and he's actively promoting the murder of more. Mm-hmm. And you might say like, hold on a second, that's hateful, that's hyperbole, how dare you in the moment like this? But it's not. And I think we need to be aware of the people we're dealing with when they're talking about stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Um, President Biden and his party, his anti-Christ political party, um, they've taken these stands. You know, they want legal abortion up till the point of birth. And in some cases, post-birth. Um, so you just have to forgive me if I find some of this just a show. It's a bit phony to me and it falls mm-hmm. in some respects, sadly, on deaf ears. You know, when you're out of one side of your mouth saying, ah, this was racist and these black people in this community suffered unjustly and 10 died. And on the other side of your mouth going, I want late term abortion, partial birth abortion legalized for any reason, mm-hmm. which negatively affects the minority communities. I just looked up real quickly, but Roughly 1,918 abortions per day in this country. Of that, 575 roughly are black children. So it's hard to believe a lot of what he's saying here when out of the other side of your mouth, you're, um, you're fighting for and advocating for 575 innocent black lives to be ended every single day. Um, uh, yeah, and you don't even know if the families of the victims even care for Biden really. And maybe they see, they see through this, they see how hypocritical it is, how he's making a big deal about this. But when it comes to black babies, they're targeted. That seems like a hate crime. (laughs) You'd like to think so, but it doesn't appear to be the case in this country. Um, The propaganda, as I would call it, seems to have gone pretty deep into minority communities and really just the left in this country at all. I mean, they all seem, we've had our back and forth the last two weeks with even, you know, what they would call the white evangelical Christians that are pro-abortion. And it's like, there is no um, way to chink that armor. And, you know, one of the things we mentioned to our friends was that like, when and I think we might have talked about this last week, but when you're confronted with scripture and you are holding views opposing what you read in scripture and you still aren't willing to turn or change your mind, that should, I don't know, be concerning to you. And it this was brought home this week because you know, we did our episode last week on gluttony. And Nikki, you sent the episode to a friend of yours that lived in Arkansas. Oh, yeah. And she said she listened to it and it was like maybe divine providence that she had just gotten done like eating four slices of pizza, drinking a big pop or whatever. And then she sat down and listened to our episode on gluttony and like was sort of. Um, well, it's not like she didn't all, she doesn't always eat that way. It was just right. kind of funny. She's like, 
she's usually a really healthy eater, but it was just funny in that moment. She's like, the day I listened to it, this is what I was eating. But yeah. yeah. But no, <laughs> I but don't she want to portray her that way. <laughs> no, obviously I'm not saying she's some kind of like you know, gluttonous <laughs> person, but you know, she just made the point that like I listened to this, and not that it's anything on us, it was scripture being pointed out to her that, you know, this you eat and you do these thing, these things, you're you have self-control for the glory of God. And, you know, yeah. that sort of struck her and was like, you know, I've never really looked at my eating and drinking and stuff as sacrifice to God. So she was confronted with a new understanding of scripture, not a new understanding, maybe, but just re uh, readdressing it probably because she's a, a Christian. She goes to church and goes to a good church. And, um, but she was confronted with it, right? And it sort of changed her mind. You're like, that's what scripture should do to all of us. Um, you sh- so in the abortion camp, it doesn't seem to do that to people. It's like, you're just in, right. I mean, it does, obviously people come out of it, but yeah. This- yeah. What's so cool about that is that when she had a conviction, it like blessed her and she wanted to share that. Like not many people do that and say, wow, I, the truth really cut to my heart and humbled me. And a lot of people don't want to talk about how the truth you know, where they have to confess something or say they were wrong in an era or, or, or they didn't realize something. So it, it's really rare to know somebody who's like, wow, I really needed that. And I struggle with this, you know, just. No, it's it's the way we should be. I mean, yeah. we can't be so prideful. I mean, I've talked on this show before. We got a great brother on YouTube who, you know, reached out to me on one of the episodes I was talking about. And he mentioned like, I think it was on tithing. And he's like, hey, man, I don't know if you're reading this just right. And he sort of explained it to me. I looked into it and was like, yeah, I think I was wrong on that. So thank you. <laughs> you know, I think for, we need to say we're wrong know, more often because we're all not right 100%. And it doesn't mean that every time someone goes, scripture says this, that you're just going to go, well, I throw up my old theology. No, you may go, eh, I don't agree with you there. But it's still, you know, right, be open to kind of be led. Um, so I don't want to, I'm not going to play all these because this episode will run too long. Uh, one of the points that he mentions, because this was mostly about white supremacy, you know, he says white supremacy is a poison. And this is at 1213. If you guys care to listen to this and go back and watch the speech at timestamp 1213, he says white supremacy is a poison. It's been allowed to fester and grow before our eyes. And this just drives me nuts because the only place that I... Um, feel like white supremacy exists is in the talking points of liberal politicians and the godless media. And he is right. It's a poison, but it's a poison that him and his cohorts really have been feeding America and minority America specifically, you know, really since, you know, going back to Ferguson and Michael Brown, you know, what was that like 2016 or something? But this is where I feel like it keeps coming from. We just keep getting beaten over this head of white supremacy. And you're like, I don't know any white supremacists. I know you keep telling me this guy's a white supremacist, but like, why? Other than you say it. I, I don't, don't know any. I don't get it. I don't know. Well, like soon after he said that, um, uh, he says about, about it being poison. He says our nation's strength has always come from this, from the idea. And then he pauses and he goes, this is going to sound corny. But think about it. He says, what's the idea of our nation? That we are all children of God. Life, liberty, 
are universal goods, gifts from God. We didn't get it from government. We got it because we exist. We are called upon to defend them. I'm just thinking like, yeah, that's all true what you said, but why did you pause and say, this sounds corny? It's just like, yeah, that's what our constitution stands on. Like, you don't believe the constitution or like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. He just. Like, I don't know why you would assume standing for the constitution as the president of the United States, who's taking an oath to support and defend the constitution would be like, listen, guys, I know how this sounds, <laughs> yeah. but our rights don't come from government. Like, I know. <laughs> yeah, we all, we all agree that we just don't believe you believe that. So, yeah. It's really weird that he had to say, I mean, I'm. But then again, you got to take that with a grain of salt. The way President Biden actually talks and briefs is always a little bit, you know, for all the grief that like George H.W. Bush or W. Bush, I think, you know, he called a bunch of grief with the way he talked. Oh, and just a little side, we didn't even take a note about this, but did you guys see the George W. Bush video? where he was talking about the unjustified invasion of Ukraine by Putin. If you have <laughs> my, oh my, is that solid gold? Please go look that up. Um, but yeah, I mean, President Biden, he's in the camp with President Trump as far as really bad public speakers, in my opinion. Not necessarily a slight on them. Not everyone, you know, they all thought Barack Obama was, you know, the world's greatest orator. Maybe he was President Biden, President Trump. They're not in that camp. So it's some of it could just be the way he talks. But it is kind of funny to hear the president be like, listen, sorry, I got to say this. Yeah. You know, no, dude, that's what you should be saying. So <laughs> um, I'm going to just try to make this last point here. You can make a last point. Then I'm just going to skip over the rest of this stuff just so that we don't have this episode running too long. So. The last point that I want to make on this before Nikki gets to her last point on this um, is we say this all the time and we'll say it again here. Um, the satanic left, which I would say this political party and our mainstream news media is largely a part of, um, they are always guilty of what they accuse others of. Mm -hmm. And I believe here again is more proof. So one of the big points that President Biden makes in this speech is he makes the point that this young man may, or he went on this murderous rampage because of replacement theory. That's the narrative that he's pushing. Um, white supremacy and replacement theory. But I believe really that's a narrative that they've invented and that they just sort of claim that others hold, like the white supremacy notion. Um, they accuse others of holding this sort of replacement theory that they've really concocted and then they just sort of go to their lackeys in the media to propagandize this idea, spread it far and wide and just pretend like this is sort of mainstream understanding, you know, and I'm not suggesting that conservative politicians and news media or whatever have never talked about replacement theory. I've just never heard it and I've never actually heard anybody really advocate for replacement theory. So just, again, because some sort of nutcase like Peyton claims that white people are going to be replaced and this is why he's going on a murderous <laughs> rampage, I don't think that really holds a lot of water outside of a crazy person doing something that crazy people do. 
He's just crazy. So, He's the outlier. Yeah. Um, do you want to make one last point on this before we roll yeah, on? Yeah, he said something else when he said, um, and I don't know the timestamp for this one. He says, violence and venom cannot be the story of our time. And the thing is, um, these things, violence, evil, murder, whatever, it's all it's woven throughout all of history since the beginning. They're going to be here for all time until Jesus returns. There is no time in history where there's not hatred or violence. It's an individual sin issue. It's not this systemic issue. Like I said, like he's trying to make, he's trying to make it a systemic issue. But then he says about himself, he has, he says he isn't naive and we can't stop tragedy from ever happening. And he says, violence can't uh, be fully understood but there is something we can do. We can keep assault weapons off our streets. And I was thinking like, yeah, we can't, we do understand um, violence. Cause like I said, it's a sin issue. So he's just saying we can't understand that, but we know what it is. Um, so he says, he brings up the weapon issue. So shootings may go down, but probably not. But he says the last time he passed his crime bill or whatever it's called, he said shootings went down. But how do you know that violence is down just because the shootings are, are down? Like taking away assault rifles, keeping them off the streets, but that doesn't stop hatred from being acted out. So no, not at all. I don't know. Everybody knows it's an old an old argument. I know it's been said over and over again, but it's not the answer. No, and yeah. And this is something that, you know, I wish more Christians would sort of come to grips with you know i've had talks with people um in the military you know when i've deployed and stuff and there's been people that have died and stuff like that that we bring back and people get shook over it you know and obviously if they know them that's really hard but i've always tried to tell them like man we live in a world full of sin and death like mm. you've got to be prepared for that mm. not to mean it doesn't hurt but like you can't have your faith shaken and that's my hope with these people, right? That their faith isn't shaken over this senseless tragedy, but really it should, I feel like maybe strengthen your faith. Like this is the evil we face. Um, and mm -hmm. yeah, it's always been a point of view that to me, I mean, yeah, you're never going to legislate out evil. You're never going to legislate yeah. out sin. And it, like we talked about earlier, especially if you don't actually involve Christ in anything, then you're just sort of playing games here. Um, yeah. And we're not involving Christ here on a national level. So it, it's really none of it's going to be all I just effective. don't know what it would look like if we had a, a president, godly leaders, you know, that said what we're saying. Like, what would happen? Oh, I mean, you would <laughs> see, right? You'd have people like Abraham Lincoln that ended slavery, <laughs> you know? Um, we've had those men in positions of power before, and the country was all the better for it. Unfortunately... Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't seem to be a lot of the people we look for nowadays. Um, and on that note, you know, Kathy Barnett, we mentioned the other week, she did not win the Senate uh, seat in Pennsylvania. So there's another godly woman that uh, we seem to overlook. Hmm. Maybe Mehmet Oz, the transhumanist, will get in there. And so. Yeah, I just want to bring up one more hypocritical statement. He says, to confront the ideology of hate requires caring about all people, not making distinctions. 
And I was thinking, like, what about all those babies that are aborted and you support the women's right to choose? Like, encouraging that. I just think maybe those women should learn something from this speech here. Like, for them, I was thinking, like, it is murder, but the murder um, stems not of hatred of the child so much as it stems from loving yourself so much more than the child. And in so in contrast, it appears to be hatred. Yeah, and it's so, funny, like, you, because this is all that they do with the abortion argument is make distinctions. Well, that's not a child. It's a fetus. That's a baby. That's not a baby. It's a zygote. You know, like they just keep, they don't make, mm -hmm. they're making distinctions mm -hmm. when they should be caring about all people, right? So again, it's that speaking out of both sides of your mouth. You yeah. Know? And I wanted to bring up the, what Amy had shared. She follows uh, like a, a pro-life activist. I can't remember the lady's name. And one of the stories, like they're trying to get women who are um, maybe considering abortion, who maybe they're afraid, you know, all the reasons they don't have support or they don't have enough money or whatever society media is telling people you can't have a baby unless this this and this unless these boxes are checked or you're gonna be a horrible parent whatever the reason but this lady was 16 weeks pregnant and they're trying to work with her you know they'll support her they'll help her in any way they raise money for these women provide for them you know so they're without excuse um but she went ahead and got the abortion 16 weeks in her reason, like she wasn't ashamed to say it. She wanted to have that beach body this summer. So those, yeah. um, women's right to choose. She had yeah. the right, but then yeah. there's people who are pro-choice who would disagree with her. Well, That's and this sad. will tie into when we get to our sermon recommendation, uh, really highly recommend it. It's more of just a sort of campus college campus sort of open air debates on abortion. And you'll see a lot of sort of that mindset on college mm -hmm. campuses. Um, so it'll definitely tie into that. But yeah, it's really hard for us. You guys might be saying like, we're talking about mass murder of black people and white supremacy. Why are you talking about abortion? It's just hard for us to live in the world that we're currently in and what's going on around us and see people on one end freaking out about murder and then on the other side advocating for murder. Right. Just strikes us as hypocritical. And I know Christians are supposed to be the hypocrites, right? That's what we always hear, <laughs> these hypocritical Christians. But um, also, just as we end on this, I know I wasn't supposed to mention one last thing. He does make note of a few scriptures that he kind of quotes in here half-heartedly. <laughs> I just wanted to remind you to not be tricked. Um, he doesn't even say God. He says the divine. Right. And even Satan quoted scripture to Jesus in the desert. So don't be taken in by that. Um, not all that impressive there. So we'll move away from uh, the lies and the liars that infect our political institutions uh, and look at some news from the religious world here and a really good story from the religious world. This one I found from today's Christianity, <laughs> um, as we like to call it here, or ChristianityToday.com. Do you want to read that headline, honey? First pastor to defy COVID-19 lockdowns wins in court. Woo! <laughs> yep. So this is uh, Pastor Spell, Tony Spell here. And do you want to just read these first two paragraphs? 
Uh, Tony Spell, the first pastor to publicly defy COVID-19 lockdown orders, has won his legal battle against the state of Louisiana two years later. The state Supreme Court decided 5-2 to two on Friday that the governor did not have a good reason to block Spell's oneness Pentecostal church from meeting for worship, while other venues received exemptions from public health restrictions. Yeah, this is good news. And uh, this pastor, Tony Spell, he goes on, he says, I'm guilty of having church, Spell told his congregation. He says, I'm guilty of preaching. I'm guilty of praying. But I am not guilty of breaking any law. I'm not guilty. The only thing I'm guilty of is doing what the Bible told me to do. Do not forsake the assembly of ourselves together. And that is so refreshing to hear. Um, The article does go on to say down here, it says... A 2020 executive order in the Bayou State prohibited gatherings of more than 50, and a subsequent order limited groups to 10, following the advice of the Centers of Disease Control and er, and Prevention early in the pandemic. Both orders carved out exceptions, however, for airports, grocery stores, factories, office buildings, and meetings deemed essential. Um, And it says, it's a violation of the First Amendment guarantee of freedom of religion to offer legal exemptions to secular groups and not religious ones, the Louisiana court found. Hmm. And then if you read just down here a little bit, um, he says, you know, they're making note of how ridiculous this ruling is. He says, however, if 10 of these individuals left the conference room and walked across the street to the church and entered an otherwise empty sanctuary building for worship service, they were subject to criminal prosecution. Um, And this was the absurdity of really every bit of COVID regulation ever (laughs) in this entire world, right? The entire country. And yet we all pretended like this made sense because Dr. (laughs) Fauci said so. So here in the, the Bayou State, they were like, you can get together for work and hang out in the same office building and work eight hours a day. But if those same 10 people get up and walk across the street and sit down in an empty sanctuary, they're going to jail. And we're supposed to pretend like that made sense because Dr. Fauci said so. Um, complete lunacy. So it was great to see Pastor Spell stand up. But yeah. to um, today's Christianities, today's Christianity. Um, To their chagrin, I guess, they did have to go in there and take a swipe um, at the pastor saying, where does it say? I think it's right there. Um, Spell also promoted baseless conspiracy theories about the virus, alleging without evidence that it was a scam to help Joe Biden steal the presidential election. We'll talk about that in 2000 Mules. Uh, He discouraged his congregation from getting COVID-19 vaccines despite the fact the scientific trials showed they are highly effective. So which is funny to hear today's Christianity claim that this man was pushing conspiracy theories while they themselves are currently promoting conspiracy theories. This so-called vaccine is a lot of things. Highly effective is not one of them. So, yeah. This is obviously... Great news for Pastor Spell, you know, super proud of the man. But looking back um, over the past two years from where we are today, you know, and we've discussed 
John MacArthur on this mm-hmm. show before and, you know, how he won his case against the state of California over fines for not adhering to their shutdowns. Um, and now here we have Pastor Spell standing, fighting, and now winning. Um, and really just, I hope <laughs> that churches out there um, that did fold, like our church in New Mexico, folded twice. Um, that didn't, you know, they went against their conscience. Our church largely went against their conscience, closed their doors because the government told them to. Um, and how many other churches and pastors did the same thing? So I hope that reading these stories, realizing now that they should have stood and that they really need to resolve themselves uh, to stand next time, because this isn't going away. Like Satan isn't just going to be like, well, we had him on the ropes, boys. But, you know, no, he's going to keep coming back. And they already know that they got a large number of pastors that are willing to just bend the knee, close the doors. Right. So going forward, like, have you learned to stand like Pastor Spell did, like Pastor MacArthur did? Um, Will you have the strength to stand next time? Because godless politicians, the satanic, you know, the satanically influenced, like they don't think you will. They think they know that you're going to cave. Yeah. So this is really encouraging to see. This should have been the mindset the whole time. We have a right to freedom of religion. You can't tell me I can't assemble. Just plain out. I think people just don't know their rights. I think most people don't. Well, and we're such cowards. And I don't mean to be offensive to anybody. If there's pastors out there and they closed. But I just got to be honest. I mean, and maybe it's just a Christian thing. We're so used to just being like, go along to get along. Don't rock the boat. I've heard people say that. People in church. You got to know what time it is. You know, you got to know when to stand and when to sort of sit down, right? And when you've got authoritarian governments, it's not like this was George Washington's government coming and asking you to, not Abraham Lincoln's government. It's our modern day political um, leaders, the godless leaders that are telling you to close your doors. Mm -hmm. You've got to know like, no, like I've got to make a stand here. You know, it's not like this was Ebola wiping people off the face of the earth. Like you've got to know. And I hope that this taught a lot of people a lesson. You know, we've mentioned this before. Like you got to fight for your rights before you lose your, or use your rights to fight Mm -hmm. for your rights before you lose those rights. And unfortunately there were only a few pastors. I mean, maybe there were more. That we know of. Yeah. Just the ones that make the news. Yeah. I mean, it should have been all of them. It should have just been all of them saying, nah, you're not going to get us to close our doors. Um, They didn't have the right. They never had the right. I mean, for Pete's sake, if California didn't have the right to close John MacArthur's church, nobody had a right. You know, as crazy as California is, if they didn't have a right to do it, nobody had the right. So um, good for Pastor Spell. I hope he's a uh, influence to the rest of Christendom out there in this country. All right, so the next story that we really want to get into is also from the religious world, though not the Christian religious world. Um, Do you want to read this headline, honey? Muslim soccer player refuses to wear rainbow jersey backing LGBTQ, sits out game. Now leftists smell blood. Homophobia is not an opinion, but a crime. Yep. Um, (laughs) Wow. Do you want to just read this? I think it's Idris Guy, maybe. Okay. 
Thanks. I don't know. So a Muslim soccer player for French team Paris Saint Germain refused to wear a jersey adorned with rainbow colored numbers in support of an LGBTQ agenda and sat out his team's four to zero Saturday with Saturday win against Montpelier. The Daily Mail reported. Did I just have find a new favorite soccer player? Idrius Guy. Love this dude. <laughs> the boldness. Too bad he's a uh, he's not a Christian. Well, we'll pray for his soul. But they go on in this article to say homophobia is not an opinion, but a crime. This was uh, tweeted by Rogue Direct. It says the league and the team must ask guy to explain and very quickly and punish him if necessary. And then it goes on later to say, um, here, let me pull it up here. Uh, where am I? Oh, president of the France LGBT uh, plus sports federation, Eric Arassis told RMC sport that guy is a great player but religion is not a part of the sport. Religion is not separate from anything we do in life. Like oh, it is our life. It is separate from everything the LGBTQ mafia believes in. Um, well, yeah, they're doing it to him. I just mean like I can look at this from a Christian standpoint. Well, no, of course. And they, the thing is they don't want freedom of thought, right? They do not want diversity. Um, they do not want that stupid coexist bumper sticker. That's been a lie from the beginning. That's never been something they wanted. Um, they are looking for total submission and your opinions are thought crimes to the LGBTQ mafia. Even if you're Muslim, right? This isn't just Christians are bashing on. They're going after Islam now too, which is pretty shocking. Um, who would have thought, but here they are. Hmm. You know, your thought crimes, your opinions are thought crimes, and they're going to be actively sought out and punished. That's what they're telling you here. Um, so first off, huge, massive kudos to this soccer player, Idrissa Guy, I mean, maybe? Yeah, uh, we could learn from his, his boldness. No, we absolutely need to learn from his boldness. And I put in my, my notes here, like, shame on these other soccer players for not standing much like shame on all the pastors who didn't stand. There's got to be other players of faith in this English soccer league, I would imagine. Um, he can't possibly be the only person of faith. But none right. of them stood, right? And this goes back to what we were saying. People are such cowards, so afraid to stand for anything they believe in. Um, mm. And then also, shame on this soccer league for putting these players of faith in this position. Right. You know, imagine if these teams came out and said, we want all of our players to wear a I support babies right to life jersey. How do you think that would go over? What if they said, we're all going to wear a jersey that says one God, one man, one woman. Biblical marriage, you know. It's part of diversity. You got to include the Christians too. No. Do you think they'd be like supporting that? Or would the players, you know, would they be calling if every, all these players were like, I'm not wearing a support baby's right to life. Would they be calling them bigots? Right. Religionists? No, of course they wouldn't, right? They'd be calling these people heroes for fighting the hegemony, but it doesn't work the other way. You know, we saw this actually in our country over the last couple of years, you know, when all of our sports stars um, were standing against injustice here in America. 
you know, the LGBTQ mafia wasn't out there saying, hey, you know what? Just keep your social justice out of the sports, right? They didn't mm. say that. Nobody said that. We were all told these people are more than athletes. Mm-hmm. They're humans, right? They're more than athletes. And now here we have an Islamic man being told, you are just an athlete. Shut up. Support the <laughs> LGBTQ agenda. So it's a pretty fascinating just juxtaposition and just how quickly their lack of any sort of real grounding is. They don't really believe in anything other than submission. So they'll take whatever stance they need to, to get you to submit. Yeah. What were they going to do for punishing him? If necessary, what would make it necessary? I mean, I don't know. Explain (laughs) yourself. That's what they said. He needs to explain himself very quickly. I don't know, but I'm sure they're thinking up ways to punish the next person to be suspended or fined or... That's a dumb reason to punish them. It's like, no. Well, to a normal person, yes, but to the satanic LGBTQ mafia, it makes perfect sense. Say, I'm an Um, individual. I'm a free thinker. I don't have to do what everybody else is doing just because the whole team does something. I'm a part of that team, but it doesn't mean... I wholly identify with everything that team does. That is absolutely what it means. Because <laughs> thought and acceptance is being forced on us. Um, this is their point of view. Like, this is the purpose, right? It's to forcibly make you support. It's not like signing your life over in the military. Well, and <laughs> it's not even like they, they don't even necessarily care if you believe in it, right? It's just, will you... Bow the knee. Will you put the jersey on? You know, will you close your church door? You don't have to believe in COVID. Will you close your church door? And you're like, yes, fine. Good. They got you where they want you then. That's all they want. They don't care if you believe in what they believe in. Will you submit when they ask you to submit? Yeah. And here's, that's what they're doing, right? These satanic people, the LGBTQ mafia, they don't accept your freedom of thought. You will either fully support and endorse their lifestyle or they will come for you. Um, They will silence you. They will seek to punish you. So for us, for you, you better draw your line. You know, we've talked about this a lot. You better draw your line in your life and decide today how you're going to stand against this. Like make that decision now um, Mm -hmm. or you're going to be like the rest of these cowardly soccer players. You're going to be like the rest of these churches that weren't prepared. And in that moment of choice, they chose wrong. Um, these soccer players in a moment of choice, they chose wrong, right? They're endorsing something that a lot of them may not agree with. Like you don't even know how many of them are um, people of faith. And if they all would have just said, no, we're not wearing it, they would have been like, okay, then you don't have to wear it. If well, enough people is, stand against it, they'll back off. This is always the argument. If you could just get the people who believe in something to stand against it, it would change everything. It would. You know, if you just got all the churches in the country that didn't believe closing their church doors were the right thing to do to actually say we're not closing our church doors, Mm -hmm. we would have won that easily Easily. a long time ago. But it always Mm -hmm. takes the one Idris guy. It takes the one or two pastors to put the rest of Christendom on their back and carry you across the finish line (laughs) And now you guys can all stand around and be like, yeah, we won. Yeah. yeah what did you do, Tom? Like, shut up. I was scared, you know. Oh, it's so frustrating. I mean, obviously I'm dealing with that personally, right? In the military, you're like, 
50% of them didn't want to take the vaccine. We're down to like 1% that's left standing. And you're like, man, if you other 49% would have showed a spine, could have really helped us out a little bit there. But, you know, they didn't. And that's their right. You know, it's their life. I'm not going to hate on anybody for doing it, but it's definitely disappointing. And I'm sure mm-hmm. this is the way Idris felt. I'm sure this is the way John MacArthur felt. Tony Spell felt. And they're looking around at all the people that should be in their corner and there's nobody back there. And they're like... <laughs> you just got Jesus in your corner. And that's all right. Yeah, I mean, it's you know? like Jesus, right? It's a pretty lonely road when you're hanging there on that cross and all your closest compatriots are gone. You're like, all right, it's just me and you, Lord. So, uh, you know, maybe reach out to Idris' guy. Let him know Christians are praying for him. Um, there's a God in heaven that he, he should uh, accept. Uh, a Lord and Savior he should accept. Who knows? But um, the last sort of discussion that we want to have before we dive into 2,000 mules, and this is going to be something new I'm going to try to do going forward, is going to be sort of our deadly sin of the week. Um, you know, we just got done going through the seven deadly sins on this show, so I thought... You know, our world's so wicked, this should probably be pretty easy to find. Uh, A deadly sin to highlight every week. Um, They all lead to death, babe. They all lead to death, so (laughs) they can fit somewhere. So this week we do have two stories, um, and they both sort of fit into the the sin of vainglory and lust. And then one of them really fits into gluttony as well. So you got three deadly sins and two stories. And we aren't going to pull these ones up because they're lustful and vainglorious um but the headline or the first one here is the sports illustrated swimsuit cover model i believe her name was yumi new and i wasn't even going to mention this i saw the second story i'm going to talk about which is hillary duff and i was like oh man that's really a shame and i was kind of had some thoughts talked about nikki or talked to nikki about it but then again our favorite podcast here that we listen to, Jason Whitlock, he talked about the Yumi News story. And I thought, man, that really ties in with this Hillary Duff story. So I was like, you know, maybe we can just tie these two together and discuss it because, um, and Jason Whitlock made a great point that I'm not going to try to make here. I'm looking at this from a different angle, but he made the point that everything the left in this country supports is a culture of death. Mm-hmm. And this here too, supporting really gluttony obesity is a culture of death um mm-hmm. with yumi new and that's certainly right on but that's not the point that i'm going to make here um because what she says in this article do you want to read this honey yeah the one with yumi yeah yeah she said it's a big time for asian american people in media i know i play a big role in representation in body diversity and race diversity and i love to be a role model and representative of the plus size Asian community. Yeah, so definitely right on with what, you know, Jason Whitlock's line of thinking there. Um, because I don't know that we should be advocating for and being role models of obesity. That hmm. seems uh, dangerous. But yeah. when you tie that into the next story, which was Hillary Duff, and the headline, or maybe it's just the first paragraph, I think it says, Former child star Hillary Duff is approaching her life and career on her own terms by posing nude for Women's Health magazine. The 34-year-old mother of three said she's finally at a place of being peaceful with her body after years of trying to live up to Hollywood's beauty standards. 
And this, to me, um, really the main point that I wanted to bring from this is just this idea that really I see from these is this notion that's being pushed. And if you have daughters, I think this is important, which is why we're talking about it. We have daughters. It's sort of this idea that's being pushed out there that um, if you are comfortable, like, first off, you should be proud of your body, whatever you look like. If you look like Yumi Nu, who's obese, or if you look like Hillary Duff, who um, is a lot, you know, smaller and more petite, whatever it happens to be, whatever you look like, you should be proud of it. And the way you know if you're proud of it is by taking your clothes off. Therefore, if you don't take your clothes off, you're not proud of yourself. It's like mm-hmm. this it's message of immodesty that's being pushed out on our daughters that, you know what, you go and show the world that you're proud of who you are. You know how you do it? Take your clothes off. And I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, we live here in the Emerald Coast. You go down any beach and it's just every girl under the sun, basically walking around in a thong bikini. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what is going on with these people? I don't know when that started. I didn't even know that was a thing till we moved here. I was like, when did like, it change? <laughs> when did the idea of like, I'm proud of my body and I don't care what you think. When did that go out of style? Where you're like, hey, you know what? My husband, my wife finds me attractive. That's good enough for me. I don't really care what. But now here's Yumi New going, you know what? I'm not ashamed to be fat. You know how not ashamed I am? I'm going to get in a tiny bikini and have the whole world look at me. Well, what she said up here, I was going to comment because she says, I know I play a big role in representation in body diversity and race diversity. Like, we don't, as Christians, we're not focused on on diversity in that. Like, we're trying to be one in Christ and representing Christ. We're not trying to represent any... I don't know why they try to like compartmentalize or have all these different categories and everything's about a minority. Oh, we got to represent these people. We got to represent the plus side. And then they have the, the girl with Victoria's Secret, the Down Syndrome girl. We got to represent them too. It's like, yeah, now you're why Down is it about girl. your body? Can you represent your culture in something honorable? Can you? Or is that all you got? That's the only way you can represent and make your culture, your race, plus size, whatever it is known. Can you be known for something besides flesh at all? Like that's really degrading of the people you're trying to represent, really. No, and it's, it's shameful. It's sinful. And we don't just see it with these two women, right? This has become a real thing, right? I mean, every, you know, sort of fallen out of favor Hollywood celebrity female does nothing it seems like any more than just post bikini pictures to show that I still got it and you're like how sad you know and it's sinful and it's teaching your daughters that this is the way that they're supposed to behave you know show your body off and again these are arguments you'll have with Christian women so you should be if you say hey you don't need to be walking around in a bikini like that's sinful it's immodest it is a shameful thing like They're saying, don't be ashamed, but it actually, you should have shame for showing your body in that way. Like whatever is appropriate to wear in public. I know we've talked about this before. Like you wear a tank top 
in some shorts where your butt cheeks aren't sticking out. I don't know. That's like where I would draw the line with what I am willing to reveal of myself. But our culture and Christian culture now, these young girls, even in church, are wearing really, really short shorts and then long t-shirts that cover the shorts. So it doesn't even look like they have pants on. So they're at church wearing, looks like underwear and a t-shirt, like your pajamas. Yeah. So, gosh, it's just getting worse Well, and that's why it's important to be aware of it. And that's why we want to make you aware of it. And we want you to talk to your kids about it. Because again, you may not care if you're a 36-year-old, 40-year-old, and you're going, yeah, I don't... I don't know who Yumi New is. I don't really care about Hillary Duff. That's fine, but your kids do, right? And you're, they're the ones that are being influenced. So we need to sit them down and let them know that this stuff is sinful, that this is not the proper way to glorify yourself, right? first right. off, and let alone glorifying God with your body. Um, so just something to be aware of. This is absolutely being pushed on women all across the world, but especially in this country. And we got to nip it in the bud here with at least our Christian um, children. We got to be mean. <laughs> yeah. When you're, you know, you got to tell them that's not the way you dress, right? Go upstairs and get some proper clothes on and let them scowl at you. Yep. But that's it's worth right it in me. the long run. So um, do you have any last thoughts on any of these sort of news topics before we roll into our sort of review. No, we can get into the review. All right. So yeah, we're going to do just sort of a quick overview, sort of. I don't even have anything really all that technical. I just have notes written down <laughs> from 2000 Mules. And really the reason we wanted to do this, um, as you can see back here on the wall, Jeremiah 29.7, um, it says, in its welfare, talking about the city um, that the Jews were exiled to, right? In its welfare, you will find your welfare. So um, we should strive for the welfare in the, of this country, you know, that it follows laws and adheres to as much as we can godly, godly principles, principles. Because this is where we live. This is where we find our well or our welfare and our well-being. So we should be active participants in it. Um, so that was kind of what turned me towards watching this movie. Because I mean, if you're unfamiliar with 2000 Mules, it's all about the 2020 election. And was the election stolen? That's what they're trying to get to the bottom of mm-hmm. in this documentary. And that is something we should be concerned of as Americans. Is our election process legitimate? Um, that's very important to us. Does our vote matter? Um, whichever way you vote, does it matter? So that was kind of why we decided to ultimately look in this and then sort of talk about it. So I'm just going to look at some of the points here. Um, so I guess the first thing, did you even, what did you know about the 2020 election even before we watched this movie? Did you even realize that the, it being stolen was a narrative? I heard of it, but I, yeah, after watching that and seeing how sneaky it could happen and little by little and all the people involved and it's crazy because people say they don't believe in um well it's hard to comprehend that something huge can be pulled off that people can keep a secret they don't believe it because it's such a big conspiracy but i mean we have evidence so 
They seem I mean, to it's have believable. A yeah. Decent amount in here. Yeah. So Nikki's a good use case for this, I guess, because she's largely unplugged from political news outside of really this show and what I bring to her. Um, so I doubt that you knew a lot about what happened during the 2020 election. And they do revisit a little bit of that when the movie opens and even some stuff that sort of jogged my memory sort of, uh, and maybe even I'm not remembering it properly because mm -hmm. that's always the thing with a documentary, right? They're going to tell you the story they want to tell. Um, so you got to be aware of that going into it and take it with, I guess, a little bit of a grain of a grain of salt, right? They have a point they're trying to get across, but just the things like the night of the election, right? I think, by the time most people really went to bed, Donald Trump was like in the lead. And then you wake up the next morning and things are completely different. And everyone's like, what happened? You know, mm -hmm. all the stories about them stop. They stopped counting the votes. Yeah. You know, that night I for so many hours. Where and they weren't letting people come in and vote. Like, I remember that. stories about that. Yeah. Keeping people out. And a lot yeah. of weird things that, you know, people said were going on. But really the first thing that jumped out to me, because I remember all that stuff as it was happening, but it sort of shows um, in that moment of the election, like news channel after news channel and all of them just pumping out the ex like word for word, the exact same talking point. Mm -hmm. And you're like, man, our news media is so corrupt. Mm -hmm. They're such liars. They're such like, they're all just being fed the same same information that they're just regurgitating at a different time, but it's the, like word for word. And you're like, you can't take anything these people say seriously. It's so corrupt. They and can't even make their own comments. It's just given to them. Yeah. No, yeah. They don't, they don't make up their, they don't make up their own stuff. These people aren't journalists, you know, by and large, they're mostly actors, right? Given yes. a script. Yes. Um, and you see that in this documentary really quickly, but you see it and you're like, Oh, that's just disgusting. Um, but you know, you talked about a lot of people don't think that this can really happen on this scale, but they do make note in here that this is not new, really what they're looking into, um, with the 2000 mules. And they talk about it's even been successful in the past, though it's been caught. Um, and not just Democrats, right? There was uh, the one big one that they make note of in here was a Republican, I think ran for the House or the Senate back in like 2018 or 2016, something like that. And he did a lot of these same tactics with like ballot trafficking, I think is something that they call mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And he won the election because of it. But then somehow they were able to unwind that and figure out what he had done. And they overturned the election. So there's been times, and they make note in here, multiple times where people have been caught cheating on elections, had those results overturned. So this isn't new. This isn't a new thing. This yeah. isn't the first time. No, it's the first time really on that it's done scale. to this scale. Yeah, yeah. national scale. Um, but it's not uncommon. So um, that was good. They do make a little bit of a note in there about January 6th. And, you know, the big narrative that we hear about that is insurrection and Donald Trump and white supremacy. Um, but the angle that I would believe, and it's really what they sort of touch on in this, is that it was more an outpouring of this sentiment that the election was stolen. Now, you can say, well, Trump drummed that up. Well, sure, but he also believes he, was, he had his election stolen. So 
if you thought the election was stolen from you, you would say, hey, I think someone stole the election from me. So that was really, it wasn't white supremacy and all this sort of stuff. People felt like their votes didn't count, that an mm-hmm. election process was rigged and stolen, um, which if that proves to be true, I think January 6th, you know, you you have a hard time saying they were unjustified in doing that, right? The Constitution or the Declaration of Independence even tells us that when our own institutions or our own government becomes destructive to our ends of liberty, that we have to stand up to our own government. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Declaration of Independence makes that fact clear. So in these people's mind, they may be going, okay, this is that point mm-hmm. where our government's gotten so out of control and wicked, we have to rise up against it. So that's not even un-American to rise up against your own country. Right. That's written into our founding documents. So that point, I think, was made, and um, I thought it was made well. Um, they do kind of go into the perfect storm. So we talked about how um, this isn't the first time this has been done. You know, it's not the first political party to ever do this, that both sides try election fraud all the time, right? They're politicians. They're mm-hmm. scoundrels for the most part, right? So they're going to do, you know, things that scoundrels do. Um, but really, they kind of made note how 2020 was such a perfect storm um, with COVID and the lockdowns and all the sort of things that went into that with the mail-in ballots. And it just sort of became really a ripe harvest for thievery, if you will, for stealing the election, uncommon in American history. So um, that was a good point to note. But really, once the show sort of gets into the meat of it, you know, the word, the 2000 mules, that phrase sort of comes from the fact that they're looking at the mules, you know, a mule is in reference to someone that sort of like carry something, take something somewhere. So we think of this a lot of like drug mules, mm-hmm. you know, they're carrying the drugs from Mexico or something up here. Well, in this, they're ballot mules, if you will. Mm-hmm. They're taking ballots for people. Um, and the way they come up with 2000 is actually pretty astonishing. So, well, I guess stepping back a little bit, the way that they even have any of this information is pretty creepy. <laughs> so they get most of it from geotracking, um, which if you're unfamiliar is essentially them taking your cell phone ping and mm-hmm. just tracking it through a, a bunch of different systems to figure out where you are, when you are, they can use latitude, longitude, and elevation to sort of tell where you are at any given moment. Mm-hmm. Um, And it's not just the government that's doing this. They make note here that there's 300,000 apps right now that are taking your geo-tracking information and selling it. So you've probably signed up for 50 different apps that are all selling your geo-tracked information and location every single day. And they do make note that even when your phone's off, it doesn't even necessarily guarantee that you can't be geo-tracked. And I would say you probably most certainly can still be geo-tracked, especially when you get into governmental level tracking um, and some of the systems that they may have, I would be stunned if they couldn't still find you. Um, So that's creepy. And we're all pretty much doing it willingly when you just breeze through those privacy statements. Oh, yeah. 
you know, yeah. when you sign up for your next Apple iPhone. Yeah. So, but the way they do this is they take these, this geo-tracking information and they align this with um, the ballot drop boxes. So because of COVID and the lockdowns, we went to these new mail-in ballots, right? Which is pretty new. I mean, we've always had absentee ballots, but an absentee ballot is different. Because in order to get an absentee ballot, you have to request it. It's like a one-for-one. One. You request it, and it's sent directly to you at your address. You can't just, like, blank it. Like, I need 27 absentee ballots. It doesn't work that way. But with mail-in ballots, they were just basically blasting out ballots to people. Um, and then you would get these ballots, and you could go and drop them off in these drop boxes. And a lot of these drop boxes were privately owned. So like people, the library or something, they wouldn't. Oh, well, that and, one didn't have a camera. So that one right, was like, go there. didn't have cameras. But they make note that even, you know, Facebook, I think they said they gave like $470 million to the 2020 election integrity kind of things yeah. that they were talking about. But they said really a lot of what their money went to was for this sort of ballot collection method. Um, so they took this geo-tracking information and they sort of pair it with the um, the ballot Dropbox locations, and they look at all these, you know, areas, and they start using this geotracking location to see who's been in these areas, and they really narrow it down to just a very few. They say it has to be like, what was it? It was like you have to have gone to 10 ballot drop box locations um, mm -hmm. and dropped off yeah, like so many things. So it was like, a, it wasn't just like if you showed up at a ballot drop box location, it was like you had to go to 10 or more, mm -hmm. like five different times or something in a day or something. It was something like a lot very clearly you were dropping ballots off in a ballot drop yeah. box. It wasn't you were just, going to that many different locations, thumbs up. Yeah. yeah, so that's the way that they sort of used this criteria. They really narrowed it down. And they still came up with 2,000 people that had done this many. Um, and they even looked in like places like our home state, Michigan, you know, where there was like 500 mules that they found from Michigan that on average, each one of these mules um, visited, it was like 50 drop boxes a day. Wow. So absurd wow. amounts. Um, so that's sort of how they narrowed it down to 2,000 because there was way more when they started going into, all right, you visited five drop boxes a day yeah. for so many days. Well, now the number is way bigger than 2,000, but they're like- It is. And then the video they have of like, some people going at like 4 a.m. to drop off. Like who goes at like 4 a.m. to yeah. drop off handfuls of ballots? Yeah, so they do have actual video because a lot of these drop boxes, they were supposed to have video surveillance on the drop boxes. Mm. So they do have video surveillance of some of these. And yeah, the people are showing up at three in the morning with stacks of drop or of ballots, you know, sort mm -hmm. of stuffing them into the drop box and then running off stuffing them into the drop boxes and taking pictures while they're yeah. doing it for verification. Mm -hmm. They even odd. have people of, you know, one woman, I think they're showing she's wearing 
surgical, like surgical latex gloves. Yeah. So she drops the ballots off and then takes their surgical gloves off and throws them in a trash can and leaves. Mm-hmm. And a lot of stuff that looks super shady, right? I mean, so that was pretty interesting. But just when they start going through all this and they go into the numbers um, of, you know, and again, it's hypothetical. So you can make the argument the other way, like, yeah, how do they know, right? You know, because obviously that's what they're trying to look and find. And that's hopefully, I think, what they're hoping this documentary does is highlight a lot of this so that people will start digging mm-hmm. deeper. So they'll be like, oh, it could happen. It may have happened. Because they yeah. do have some interviews and stuff with people that have done this ballot. I think they call it ballot trafficking. Yeah. Um, before. And they're open, you know, on it that, hey, I did this. And why did I do it? I needed money, right? They were paying me this much for each ballot. So I did it. Um, but they start going into the numbers of how many ballots were dropped off by just these 2,000 mules. And they look at like, okay, in this location, would that have made a difference? And they sort of go down and say like, if just these numbers are true and what we're saying is true, then it would have been enough to swing Pennsylvania and Georgia or Arizona, I think, Pennsylvania and Arizona maybe which would have been enough to swing the election. And they're like, that's just the 2000. So they went way over what was necessary. Yeah. So, I mean, that's sort of what they looked at and how they looked at it. So do you buy the argument that Dinesh D'Souza was trying to sell? Because a lot of people, and he even makes note of this in the documentary, Donald Trump pardoned you. So a lot of people are going to be saying, yeah, you're just doing him a solid, right? He pardoned you. Now Mm. you're giving him this documentary that's showing, hey, you actually won the election, you know. So, again, you didn't really know much about this. Did this sway you at all that, yeah, it looks like the election was probably stolen or could have been stolen? Mm. Yeah, definitely. You're asking me. Yeah. Yeah. Just you. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I certainly think the evidence they provide is worth looking into. And he does make note that they are. And he's saying, I expect people are going to be arrested soon in Arizona. I think he makes note. Hmm. Um, So it's certainly compelling information. I will say I thought it was going to be more compelling. Um, I don't know what I was expecting when I watched it, but it was a lot of... I thought it was going to be a lot more video evidence, a lot more. And maybe they just didn't want to stuff just nothing but like CCTV tapes in there. Yeah. How much more video footage do you need to see? Like what's going to be different from the ones they showed? And that may be what their thinking was. So I did think, you know, there was a lot of like talking about how this is done and how we can track and why we can do and all this sort of stuff. And yeah, you know. To me, that kind of seemed like we're just trying to convince you to believe this. And not to say that it's not true. Very well could be. Um, But I do think that it's legitimate. I mean, it's certainly enough evidence, I believe, to look into with some seriousness. But I had some I was going to bring up because we have some friends through some other Christian groups on Facebook who... And there's a lot of people who believe this, that, you know, 
people aren't um, elected, they're selected. And if that's true, why all the trouble with the, right. the ballot trafficking then? If votes don't count, then why did this happen? Right. And we're going to definitely talk about that in a later episode. Okay. Um, we're sort of calling it the lack of faith movement. Um, so we will dive <laughs> into that in a later episode for sure. But yeah, I mean, I don't know that the documentary really blew me away one way or the other. I mean, I've always thought if there's evidence at all, it needs to be looked into and seriously because elections have to be authentic. They've got to be legit, right? And they're already, you know, influenced to a certain level one way or the other, you know, especially in this world where the media plays such a sway and we've, uh, if you want to watch a creepy documentary, I think it's called, oh, geez, what's it called? Uh, the Creepy Line, I think is what it's called, something like that. The Creepy Line on be. Netflix about the way Google and Facebook sort of um, their, uh, their algorithms skew the results. And they basically show in there how it can basically sway elections. Mm. Um, so you pair that with our media and stuff like that we already know it's sort of an uneven playing field i feel like i need to brush up on that was that new mexico when we watched that probably i feel did. like it was but yeah the creepy line if you still have netflix although you shouldn't have netflix yeah. cancel netflix please <laughs> um but that's a good documentary and so yeah i mean i certainly think he did a good enough job of saying hey man there's stuff you need to look into here and there's definitely some nefarious stuff that went on that is worth flushing out at least so that it doesn't happen again, at the very least. So if you guys watch this documentary, I'd love to hear from you what you think about it. Um, and if yeah. you haven't watched it, you know, unfortunately, he didn't put it on YouTube or any of that type of stuff. I think you have to actually go and buy it at 2000mules.com. We'll have a link in the show notes. But it was a good watch. You know, it's, it's worth being aware of what's happening in our country. Um, but do you have any final thoughts on anything we've talked about before we dive into our sermon recommendation? Um, no, go ahead. All right. So we kind of mentioned our sermon recommendation a little bit earlier, and maybe that's why abortion was so much on our brain today, uh, because it's about abortion. And, oh, you know, I don't have it pulled up here. Let me see if I can get it pulled up real quick. Um, no, that's not a good picture. Well, it's not going to be a good picture, but yeah, here we go. It's, um, Apologia Studios, and this is, uh, Apologia Church, I believe it is. That's Pastor Jeff Durbin. If you're familiar with him, they do a lot of debates and a lot of anti-abortion type stuff, open air sort of debating. And that's sort of what he's doing here at LSU. And it's just a really good video mm -hmm. um, to really just highlight that the pro-abortion crowd, they don't really have good arguments. No, they don't. Um, they just get angry when they're backed into a corner and just start yeah. attacking. And that's really the people. way everybody acts, right? Yeah. When you get sort of your lies get exposed, you either can acknowledge that and apologize, which is unlikely for most people, or you can just sort of lash out and try to shut the other person down, which is what you see happen here a lot. Jeff Durbin does great, super composed. 
um, on point, doesn't lose his temper or anything like that, which is really good. It's just a confidence in the truth. And some people might say he's arrogant. That's what you'll get. That's, that's what I got yeah. from someone recently. I'm being arrogant and judgmental or whatever, but you're just presenting people with the truth confidently. And sometimes people will say, well, you're arrogant, you're prideful, but no. Confidence in the truth. There's a difference. And it's good too, because a lot of people might also say like, well, these are just idiots, right? These, they, they selected the dumb people to show you, you know, this girl on here has got green hair, right? But the arguments are the same. And the arguments are just as ridiculous when you hear from somebody with green hair as you hear from somebody that has letters after their name and they're trying to sound academic mm -hmm. or your Christian friend who's trying to make the same ridiculous arguments. Because um, even in here, we talked about this last week, uh, one of the girls is making mention in here, you think an 11-year-old should be forced to have a baby? She keeps talking about 11-year-old, 11-year-old. And I was, again, I was like, funny, you know, we just talked about Kathy Barnett, whose mother was 11 when she was raped by a 21-year-old, chose to have her baby. So it's funny, that's what they're going to when you're like, I have a perfect example of why you should have that baby. Um, yeah. So none of their arguments make sense. The only one that you could ever really hang your hat on is life of the mother. That's really your only argument. But I've heard other people too, if you get into a talk with people like this, you may want to say, well, what about rape and incest and life of the mother? You should just go, yeah, okay. Let's legalize abortion for rape, incest, life of the mother, and let's illegalize all elective abortions and see what they say and see if they're down with that. Because the fact is rape, incest, and life of the mother are so, so very small. And we'll really pool. see what those numbers are. I think Planned Parenthood, I think on average, they say does like 92% of abortions are elective, which just means women just want to have an abortion. So if you're like, yeah, cool, we'll legalize 8% of it. Yeah, but how many of those women claim rape when it wasn't rape, though? You I can't don't know prove that. that. Yeah, it's hard to prove, yeah, for sure. But I don't know. But it's really good. I definitely encourage you guys to go give it a, a watch. Um, they do a really good job mm -hmm. there. So do you have any final thoughts here at all, honey, before we end this podcast episode? It was intended mm. to be short, I promise you. And yet here we are. No, I don't want to make it any longer. That's okay. All right. If you guys stuck it out with us, we certainly appreciate that. Um, make sure you come back on Monday. We will be uh, doing our daily devotionals. Me and Nikki are kind of doing them together now. It was always weird to be writing our own devotionals and recording them while we're both in the house together. So we thought, you know, why don't we just write them together? It's easier. It's better. Yeah. We're both here. So that's what we're doing now. Um, like it should have always been. So come give those a listen. And then, of course, we'll be back next Saturday with another episode. But until then, God bless. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.